NPR. This is the Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darian Woods, and it is Indicators of the Week. Woo! Today I'm joined by two very special guests. We've got Jeff Guo visiting from Planet Money. Beaming in from the sister planet. And we also have Sydney Lupkin, NPR's pharmaceutical correspondent. Welcome, Sydney. Hello. Darian, I think we outnumber you this week. What are you going to do? Yeah, one indicator versus two other NPR staff. <laughs> What's going to happen? We're taking over. We have sifted through all of the news of this week, and we have picked the three most, how would you describe them? The three most delightful. No, it's not delightful, because <laughs> they're not. No, the three mostest. We picked the three most mostest. Loudest, mostest indicators of the week. That's after the break. Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th with savings on animal welfare certified bone-in beef short ribs, sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon, and more regionally inspired selections. Find sales on robust handcrafted Parmigiano-Reggiano, charcuterie, and ground lamb. Plus, visit the bakery and grab a delicious olive bull bread. Taste the Mediterranean at Whole Foods Market. Support for NPR and the following message come from State Farm. As a State Farm agent and agency owner, Lakeisha Gaines understands the importance of supporting small businesses. Being a small business owner is a dream, but being able to execute that business plan is much bigger than a dream. That's where we come in as State Farm agents to say, hey, we got you. You got this and we got this. Let's do it together. Talk to your local agent about small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so it is Indicators of the Week. What is yours, Darian? My indicator is that one in eight children in the U.S. are living in poverty. I've been reading the report on poverty that the Census Bureau puts out each year, and there's been this big jump in child poverty from the year prior. That's horrible. It's not great. And on child poverty, America's relative rate is higher than most other rich countries. So this report is just a depressing reminder that we can't have nice things. Yeah, not at the moment, it seems. But the longer-term trend actually gave me hope, and I'll, I'll tell you why. First, the decade-long trend shows child poverty decreasing. And secondly, there's a lot we can learn from what's happening at the moment. Uh, so that jump in child poverty was a bounce-back, and what that bounce-back shows is intriguing. So 2021 had extraordinarily low child poverty rates. That's what we were talking about last year. So this is a return to pre-pandemic levels, and it shows us what government action reduced child poverty back then. So we knew we knew how to fix child poverty, and we just decided, oops, we're not going to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, we won't. Yeah, so during the pandemic, there was this huge expansion in eligibility and the amount provided for programs like unemployment insurance, the child tax credit, and SNAP, also known as food stamps. These programs seemed to help get the country to these really low child poverty rates that we've now moved away from. In fact, the report highlights how tax credits, SNAP, and school lunches bring millions of kids out of poverty each year. But now... (laughs) Yeah, but now these programs still exist, um, just in a reduced form. So they're still having an effect, um, just not that big effect that was happening in 2021. Um, You know, the reality is you give more money to people and they have more money. Uh, Of course, somebody has to pay government debt and inflation did spike too over the pandemic. 
But it is very clear from the data that these programs really helped low-income families. Bad news, child poverty's up. Good news, we know how to fix it. Yeah. We just... No major mystery. ...have chosen not to. It's no, it's no mystery. Yeah. All right. Next up, we've got Sydney. Um, you're going to tell us something about these new COVID vaccines. It kind of feels like Groundhog Day, right? Like, right. we're back here again. Yeah, I mean, it's booster season, but it is very different this time around. In the past, the government, which is to say taxpayers, bought over a billion doses, basically enough for everyone each time there was like a new iteration of the shot. And it cost billions of dollars and it helped set revenue records for pharmaceutical companies making the shots. And now the government isn't buying all those doses. So the COVID public health emergency officially ended back in May. So now the vaccines are available on the commercial market. And so what does this mean? Are we going to have to pay commercial prices? Yes, we are. So instead of paying around 20 bucks a jab, we're talking around $120. And that is my indicator. Wait, I paid $0 for my previous jab. Well, so you you didn't, though, right? Because, like, you didn't pay at the moment that you got it, but it cost the government when it set up these huge, huge, huge contracts. So you paid in the form of taxes. $20 a jab. Okay. And now it's 120 So who's paying that 120 Insurance, I assume. Yes, your insurance is covering it. But we should sort of always point out that because of the way our health insurance works, everyone pays. Even if you don't get the COVID shot, you are going to pay for this in the form of maybe higher premiums, those monthly you know, deductions from your paycheck that, that you see every time you, you look at it. And what about people without insurance? Yeah, it's a good question. So drug companies announced that they would have patient assistance programs for the uninsured. And those kinds of programs usually involve jumping through lots of hoops, like paperwork to prove that you qualify for a free shot. So the government is also funding what it's calling a bridge access program to make sure that people without insurance can still get their COVID boosters. Apparently, you'll be able to get free shots at participating locations without needing to prove why you need it for free, though I should add that it's not yet clear how many free shots this government program will be able to cover for adults. Okay, so these will be funded by the government and through taxpayers. So what's the argument for spending taxpayer money on this? I mean, there's plenty of research that shows COVID is bad for the economy as a whole. So Early in the pandemic, Harvard economist David Cutler estimated the economic costs of COVID, and he called it the $16 trillion virus, taking into account things like lost gross domestic products, loss of life, stuff like that. And he told me no one has really done a fresh analysis on how much money these latest boosters are going to save the economy. We're really in a different place, given that we're down from the peak number of hospitalizations and deaths. But at least for now, Cutler suggested looking at it this way. If you take the median earnings of $23 an hour and extrapolate that out, say every person with COVID misses five days of work, it comes out to around $1,000 per sick person. So as many people as you can keep from getting sick, the better it will be for the economy. It sounds like this classic externality story, right? Like, it benefits all of us if people get vaccinated. Right. And Jeff, you have a story that affects all of us in some ways. I have a story of seismic consequences. My indicator is related to some very big news this week. Gannett, America's largest newspaper chain, they announced they are hiring a Taylor Swift reporter, just Taylor Swift, full time. Wow. wow. I mean, she has a lot of songs. Yeah. 
two reporters. Yeah, they're also hiring a full-time Beyonce reporter. And like these job announcements, they have been controversial because Gannett just laid off like 600 people last year. It's got a lot of local newspapers that are down to these skeleton crews. It's not great. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's it's bleak. Yeah, it's a little bleak. But, but if they are going to hire a Taylor Swift reporter, I am here to make the case that they should be hiring an economics reporter. Because I'm going to argue that Taylor Swift is fundamentally an economics story. I mean, I believe that everything is an economic story, but I want to hear your argument. (laughs) Okay, okay. This is my pitch. There are at least three stories right now that this, I'm going to call it Swiftnomics reporter, should be covering. Okay? Number one, we need someone to get to the bottom of Taylor Swift's actual economic impact. Because there are people out there claiming that her era's tour alone is going to generate $5 billion of economic activity. But those are just guesstimates. Nobody actually knows. We need someone out there measuring, doing the investigative reporting. We do need robustness checks. Exactly. And everyone kind of claiming that Taylor Swift causes inflation to rise whenever she plays a show in their area. Oh my God, is that true? (laughs) Yeah, we need measurable data on this phenomenon, on the Taylor Swift inflation nexus. Show us the receipts. Exactly. Okay, number two, remember the whole Taylor Swift ticket master fiasco? The Department of Justice has literally been doing a whole antitrust investigation. They're looking into, like, is Ticketmaster actually operating as an illegal monopoly? And that lawsuit might drop this year. Who's going to write about that? Jeff Guo. Swiftnomics reporter. <laughs> okay, and number three, we need to talk about how Taylor Swift might be single-handedly saving the world's largest movie chain. Because remember, she made her own concert film, right? She cut out the middleman, the studios, the distributors. She sold her concert film directly to AMC theaters. And now this concert film and all the hype around it might be what saves AMC theaters from bankruptcy. It's a lot. Look, I'm in, (sighs) but you still need an indicator. Oh, yeah. My indicator is the salary for this Taylor Swift reporter job. They're going to pay up to $100,000 a year. A dream job. (laughs) Wow. This episode was produced by Brittany Cronin with engineering by Nisha Hines. It was fact-checked by Corey Bridges. Our editor is Kate Kincannon, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast, On Investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. ShipBob's warehouse management system can improve your efficiency, allow you to grow faster, and save you money all through one WMS platform. Get a free quote at shipbob.com.